0: Sounds good. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 11 of the Lift Free and Die Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I'm returning with my friend Lee Boyce. Lee's been a prior guest on the previous incarnation of the uh, podcast, but in the solo ones where I've taken over as solo host, it's uh, Lee's first return trip, but I had to get him back. Uh, if you don't know who he is already, uh, there's something wrong with you. Uh, he's a prolific writer, um, presenter. Um, he does a lot of coaching work in our industry. He's an adjunct professor, educator in everything he does. And uh, sadly, we had to cancel this year's uh, Evolved Canadian Strength Symposium where Lee was uh, due to have presented was part of our inaugural lineup last year and in my future plans. So we were, we'll be getting you back um, at some point when all this stuff settles down. So mostly I just wanted to see what you've been up to and given the restrictions on travel, you know, I know you like presenting, how have you used this year? Um, well, how have you put
1: your time into this year to make it still a successful year? Um, so I guess a lot of things have moved into the virtual space first and foremost. So we, we all know that. And, um, as far as, uh, being a fitness professional in this space, you know, that has moved a lot of uh, stuff toward online coaching, for example. And uh, so that maintained its strength and even picked up in terms of volume. And on, on my end, uh, just because of the fact that there's a lot of people out there who aren't necessarily comfortable, even if lockdown restrictions have been removed, to get back into gyms and start working out uh, in person physically again. Um, other people, they might even be more into that idea. However, they've spent all their money stocking up their home gyms over the course of time and so uh for that reason they want to put it to good use and uh they might be on a work from home protocol as well from uh from the downtown core for example which is where i would operate out of a lot of the time and so uh, for that reason they want the convenience factor to be uh, in their favor so yeah all those reasons are what uh, has made the push for online coaching a little bit more of a thing compared to before now i'm still pretty busy with my in-person clients i literally just finished a string of five in-person clients right now um but with that said um it has made for a transition in that front other than that lots of writing uh, i've been keeping up with my articles and uh, all that sort of thing and um uh the virtual delivery for the college of the courses that i'm teaching there um that has really been a, a new challenge for the entire faculty so that is something that uh, the semester has started as of the beginning of september so we uh we were dealing with that and uh, that's been that's been going okay And uh, yeah, I guess that's really it. There's no speaking that I can do and uh, I'm not really doing too much. I'm not really into, I'm not going to lie, a lot of the uh, uh, giving presentations via Zoom and Skype and all that sort of thing. So I've kind of been turning down offers that have come that way. And uh, that's kind of the way that that it's been.
0: I know there's been a bit of that, that we had. The NSCA Provincial Clinic that was supposed to go here in person, my buddy Jeff Aker runs that. So I know that they had done a live one and I know Luka has got a big event coming up and they're doing it virtually. He wanted to do it in person, but <clears throat> I guess it just wasn't feasible. For me personally, uh, the virtual stuff, there's one inherent flaw. And I've talked about this for Is like I like the getting in and meeting people and the networking side of things, which is probably difficult, if not impossible to do in a virtual room versus an in-person experience. So for me, I've just accepted this year... And probably into next year for a certain chunk, you know, I've lost the ability to go and do certain things. Like the travel, that sort of stuff is really off the table. So I just decided I'm going to reallocate my time and energy into other things that will set me up to be as successful as possible. When we can get back to, you know, and I hate language like new normal, but, you know, whatever semblance of what things were like before. And I actually think it'll take a little while before, you know, conferences that really blow up the way that they used to.
1: Right. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, You know, right now, at least here in Toronto, there's a cap of how many people can even be in a room together, which is something like, uh, I believe with our gym, it was a capacity of 33 bodies in the room altogether. And that sounds like a lot, but in a gym space, that really isn't a lot at all. It's pretty small. Um, So whereas we were at a a maximum of 50 people allowed in one space at a time those restrictions were brought back very recently to I believe it's 25 indoor and 10 or sorry 10 indoor and 25 outdoor that was the rule Um, so with all that said could be a while before you know a conference that features a couple of hundred people sitting in the same place to listen to to a a presenter speak uh, can become a reality and um, yeah, that forces people into the Zoom space or into the online space or whatnot, or it forces much smaller venues. Um, and uh, regardless of what it is, it's going to be a little bit of a transition for people in order to, uh, you know, be able to network and uh, be able to sort of meet each other and uh, communicate with one another, uh, let alone in person, even virtually. It's uh, it's it's a little bit of an uphill battle, but, you know, we just have to wait it out, I guess, and see what happens.
0: And use the time wisely. There's something else too that have to take into consideration for anyone listening is everybody is in a different jurisdiction so we have two things going on one is certain cities and areas are more heavily impacted by this others i mean new york probably the worst in terms of the yeah. early surges toronto is probably in the middle of like having it a bit worse uh, certainly than edmonton edmonton probably one of the best places in north america for a major city our cases never really ever got out of hand, you know of course, the news will you know, say, "Oh there 's this more this day, and you know there 's a certain type of mentality that 's just going to freak out about it anyway and' be like, lock everything down meanwhile there 's all, all sorts of other consequences from that and then there 's each individual government 's approach to it. Our government has been pretty strict and not you know, like just screwing the economy and not doing anything really drastic or draconian, and we 've actually handled it really well that 's also because Edmonton, as far as, is not a very densely populated city compared to say the downtown part of toronto or again new york so you know there are going to be some people who are going to be more heavily impacted by this a just because there simply was more of a spread of this virus everywhere and two you know like look at our friends who are gym owners in california right now they've all been shut back down again right and you know there's a lot of data supporting the fact that gyms have been overwhelmingly safe so one thing is the virus but another thing is how the governments are responding to it so Uh, You know, everybody's in a different situation, despite the insinuation that we're all in the same boat.
1: Yeah, there's um, a number of people that I can think of right now who are in sort of the jeopardy of maybe shutting down their gyms or have already done so. Um, There are some very, very prominent like uh, fitness boot camp instructors and people like in that sort of uh, section where it was 100% of what they did was the physical, um, you know, group scenario kind of fitness. And so um, because of the fact that their doors were shut at first, and then on top of it, when the doors were reopened, there wasn't too much interest in returning because people were afraid to, or because of the other things I said about earlier, you know, work from home and they're not around anymore and so on and so forth. Well, guess what? They're forced to just uh, close up and and call it a day. And uh, whether they leave the industry altogether or try to take on some kind of a different work uh, under the same umbrella, that's uh what they're stuck with doing and it's very stressful and difficult for those people and i feel for people who own gyms and um you know it's not something that's uh, inexpensive in this city in any way shape or form and uh if you were defer- deferring a lease payments for six months or for four months or five months or however long lockdown was in in uh, your situation it means that you have a pretty massive bill to have to pay back after the fact so it's a, it's a tough situation for small business owners and gym owners. I have uh, colleagues and friends who have been lobbying to try to get a little bit more support in that, uh, re- in that realm from the government uh, in order to sort of make things a possibility to stay open and stay running. Um, unprecedented times. And so because of that, you know, people are trying to, you know, scrounge as much as they can and do whatever they can to make this still work. But it is definitely very, very, uh, very challenging for them to do so. I feel terrible for a lot of those people. There's certain kinds of things like, you know,
0: imagine owning a small spin studio that ran on, you know, running on fairly low margins. You're screwed because if there's one type of environment that is probably going to be really hard to manage, you have to put up all kinds of barriers is a small room with a large number of people packed in who are breathing hard, right? One-on-one distance training in gyms, you know, that stuff is really super straightforward. And my clientele, again, Edmonton being really, really tame comparatively to a lot of North America, my people have overwhelmingly felt very, very safe to return. I've been as busy as I've ever been. Uh, you know, I still do a little bit of virtual, or, you know, as one of my guys, he would like to be back, but his sister who he lives with is so, you know, like, I, I don't want to use the word paranoid because that sounds, you know, negative, but she's so worried about anything that he's not even allowed to go to the gym. So he actually bought a squat rack setup and I just train him over video uh, once a week. So he's pretty happy all things considered
1: that's good. Um, I don't have too many people who I've done straight virtual coaching with, but what I have had is a lot of my clients uh, at the time anyway transitioned into um, what I'll call online coaching where they'll take care of programming that I provide for them and whatnot. Same as what I always offer um, where, where, where the online stuff is concerned. And so then they will they'll have their gym that's stocked with certain things or they might get certain things. And sure their gym might be a little bit more poorly equipped compared to a, a full scale gym that we work out out of, but at least it's something to tide them over until uh, until lockdown ends. And uh, again, the the vast majority of them have already returned and uh, there's, I'm only waiting on a couple other people who are, uh, who are going to get back to it uh, in person, but um, you know, it's the reality of the situation and everybody's not going to be as comfortable as everybody else with uh, um, what's going on and uh, you know, whether or not they're neurotic about it or whether or not they're, uh, you know, just mildly sort of uh, what's the word concerned about it. And there are a lot of moving parts and factors to, to factor in as Well, for example, um, you know how old are the clients, first of all, and also how much contact do they have with their parents and their grandparents and stuff like that. Depending on who we're talking to, and how worried does that make them, right? So, you know, if it's uh, you know a single one-person individual who lives 500 miles away from their grandparents or parents, then they might be a little bit more lax with it, right? If it's somebody who's already 50 and then they have an 87-year-old father and an 85-year-old mother and went on, they see them every week. uh, Maybe the gym's not the place they want to be right now especially not on a regular basis even though um, it might be clean it might be safe but you know you got a lot of bodies in there you got more germs that are circulating around people have to be more on top of staying sanitary and so on so you know it can uh, it can definitely uh, leave a taste in certain people's mouth that might not be the same as the taste that might have in uh, your mouth my mouth or, or someone else's so um, yeah it's very very case by case and uh, personalities are really going to um, show their differences when a uh, situation and scenario like this is, uh, is surfing. And we're seeing that and I'm seeing that and um, everybody has a sort of a different opinion on this. Also, you know, we just, again, we just have to sort of wait it out and see what happens and hope for the best. And uh, here in Toronto, we're hoping for not another lockdown. That's for sure. I know that your government is rattling sabers about the possibility.
0: Whereas my government here has been very assertive in suggesting that it won't. So, and that's, that's tough for business owners in a situation where, there is the threat of another lockdown, especially if it's a a business that you can operate safely. So complicated stuff for sure. And going back to your comments about, you know, each individual and their situation, it's really important that we respect where they are, how they feel about it and their concerns. Because yeah, I've got one older client. I hadn't trained recently, but she's got an elderly mother that lives with her. And she's quite adamant that she's never stepping foot to gym ever again. Now, personally, I think, That's a touch of an overreaction, but I understand it completely and I respect that. So that's an individual that, you know, I'm positive and supportive with, but there's no like, Hey, no, you need to come back to the gym. This is good for you. It's like, nah, she's actually been outdoors working out a whole lot. So I just, I kind of leave her to that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I've got a couple of clients as well who are saying like that kind of thing. And, you know, just like, I don't feel proper doing this yet. I don't want to come back into the gym just yet. And, you know, maybe they're going to start in a new year. Like maybe it is what it is. And, you know, and it's just you, the reaction has to be okay. Take your time whenever you're ready and I'll be here for you when you come back, you know, because at the end of the day, Um, these hiatuses are still supreme examples and displays of loyalty on the client's behalf as well, because they do prepare to come back at some point and they could easily say, I'm not coming back and I'll just figure out my own thing and thanks for your time and whatever, whatever. But, you know, knowing that they're actually telling you the plan that's being put in place, that should be sort of heartwarming for you that uh, your retention is that good that they have the intent of coming back and returning to, to, you know, hire your services or contract or retain your services again again. So, um, a way to look at it, the more of a glass half full and um, it allows you to have a little bit more respect for the decisions too.
0: I just recently had a small handful of my people who've been holding out for various reasons and they're all just hoping to jump back in now and quite eager to do it. So everybody arrives at it in their own time. You know, the talk about online training, this is something that's dominated our industry long before COVID This sort of push and John, Jonathan Goodman is kind of, I guess, one of the visionaries behind, you know, seeing that this was going to be a trend. And we know that a lot of the trainers in our world, I think on one end, have this idea that they want to get away from the gym floor, they want to go totally online, they want to have this freedom, you know, live like you know, John was traveling around for a bit before he had his kid, or a guy like Menu Henselmans, who <laughs> moves a different country all the time. And while I think that a few you know, of the top end people in the industry can actually pull that crap off, I, I think that's not that's a bit more of a pipe dream. But for me, and I, I suspect for you as well, I like being on the gym floor and I offer a little bit of online training as a complement to a full-time in-person coaching business. And I would rather be a, you know, a Charles Staley type where I'm still, you know, what is Charles now, 60, still crushing deadlifts and Chinocks better than I can do and still be working with my in-person clientele. Uh, so where's your head at with that? And I guess I'll, I'll open this up into a bigger question. like. Where do you see yourself with all the effort you're putting into, you know, brand development, you know, you're writing all this stuff. What's the kind of long game ambition for you? Or have you are you just riding the wave?
1: Uh, it's a lot of riding, wa- riding the wave for sure. But I would say that uh, in the bigger picture, it seems like kind of naturally, organically, I've sort of made... Uh, tiptoe into the world of being more of an educator and being on the education side of things. Um, You know, I don't want to like jinx anything or whatnot, but that is definitely where things have gone and where they've been going and where they seem to still continue to go. Um, You know, whether it was the transition from just being a trainer and writer to trainer writer and now I'm speaking and I'm running these kind of, uh, you know, workshops and doing clinics and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's helping a little bit more for professional development of other people in the industry. So that now has allotted a certain amount of my time in each year. Um, and then on top of that, it was those two things. Plus now I'm teaching at college, right? And so being at the college now and spending two, three days per week there and working with students who are going to be entering the industry and so on. Now, all of that stuff is now like a, a piece of what occupies my, my work week. And, um, I just noticed that it's occupying you know sort of progressively more and more of time of my time per week um, or per year or whatever you want to call it um, which suggests to me that it's only going to get a little bit stronger in that department and like you, I still want to be the person who is walking the talk in a sense or being out on the gym floor in the trenches because I have a very very strong feeling about maintaining your relevancy and your consistency with that side of things to lend to your capabilities as an educator, as a teacher, as a trainer, as a fitness expert. Um, I think that's a really, really huge part of it. And I don't ever want to lose that. Um, I just know that those values will shift a little bit in terms of how much time each thing will get. Um, Whereas If you talk to me when I was 22, I'm 33 now. When you talk to me when I was 22, I was working with 11 clients, 12 clients in a day. Now at 33, I'm working with four or five clients in a day uh, on a heavy day. And then, you know, by the time maybe when I'm 43, maybe I'll work with uh, one or two clients or three or four clients in a week. I don't know. So it, it's, uh, it's definitely something where uh, the education side of things will will open up a little bit more of my time, I think. And uh, the, the other side of things is going to sort of shift itself down. Uh, and and I don't want either to disappear. That makes sense. And I, I am riding the wave too. Like I don't necessarily
0: see me going hard into the educator space, although a lot of my social media kind of speaks to this podcast is you know, something that ends up being fairly educational to the uh, a generation of trainers coming up through uh, established trainers. So I think a lot of the people who've been really successful in our space may not have necessarily had a, a clear destination or ambition. It just sort of worked out that way as they gained proficiency. Like one of the comments you made about, you know, spending more time in education is it sort of sounded like you hinted at the fact that you found yourself liking it. And then I think you're going to gravitate towards the things that you enjoy a lot more. Sure. And coming back to the, the idea of online training, I, I think it's a good idea to be able to do it. I think it's a good idea to do it well and offer it. But for me, it's not my passion, and I keep the numbers limited. So there, I do a really good job with the people who I do have. That's important to me. If I was like uh, you know PJ Street, who writes for Teen Nation like we do, you know PJ is exclusively online. I think he has somewhere north of a hundred online clients, and to me, that's like holy Jesus. I couldn't even imagine. But he loves it. He's very engaged with it. You know, he, he talks about making it more personal than personal training, and if that's where your passion lies and you're doing a really good job, great. I don't think everybody needs to make a hard pivot into online training. I think in-person training is still going to be extraordinarily successful and viable. Um, you know, more and more we do know about, you know, the true impact of you know COVID. I almost hate saying the word like it's you know it's dominating our, our airwaves. And we will also have, you know, more medical technology and intervention, and we'll just have a better handle on on controlling it to the point where more and more people will feel safe. I mean, gyms are busy. Like, don't kid yourself. You know, gyms are busy in most places. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm in a jurisdiction that is less of a, you know, a, a, a threat of spread. We haven't seen as much of it, but I know that people want to be in gyms. Right? There are places where there's restrictions that people are literally fighting to get them open, or They've they opened them and they're, they're getting fined and they're just like, well, you know, fuck the governor or whatever. you actually seeing stuff like that in places like New Jersey. So I don't know how I feel about that stuff. But people want to be in them. So I don't think anyone needs to be afraid that the online training – or sorry, the in-person training business is going to die off. I mean, I think that's ludicrous.
1: Yeah. Um, I – agree with you. And I have to say this is that in other interviews, I've been asked that question of what do you think is really going to turn? Like, where do you think this is going to go in terms of like, uh, the personal training world and like the in person one on one coaching world and so on? Like, what do you think the next thing is? And do you have any kind of advice or whatever for, you know, trainers who are, you know, just starting, you know, to work with clients or whatever, like, given COVID-19 is a thing. And, you know, the thing that I see, picking up more steam or as much steam as online coaching to me is in-home coaching. Mm -hmm. And, and you see, like, that means that, yeah, you're personal training somebody you're not in a gym, but you're still physically there with them. It's a one-on-one setting. So there's not much risk, especially if you're both testing negative for COVID-19 and at the same time you're using the equipment that's available to the person that they might've stocked up during their quarantine time. Um, making yourself mobile and, uh, having a vehicle, for example, to get around from one place to another, I think that would be something that somebody would be remiss not to consider. And, um, you know, consider as a big portion of their business in the next, I don't know, five years or so, because I do believe that that will pick up a whole lot of steam compared to before. And, uh, you know, having somebody who comes to you, a trainer who comes to you and works with you in your home, with your setup, with your equipment in the area that's, uh, you know, a territory you like, um, and that's familiar to to you with uh you know just all that convenience being uh you know just like re- respected i think that that's going to be something that really picks up steam i i just can't see it not especially with work from home protocols where people aren't going to be back in a certain area of the city and a lot of people especially older folks a lot of them don't live very close to where they work at least not in this city and so it's going to be something that they uh they will look for and uh We got to be ready for that, because whereas a gym might not be the thing, I think that uh, personal training will still be a thing, and it's just going to be a matter of where the personal training uh, exists.
0: Two considerations, the
1: first one with the mobile. You have
0: to drive between clients, so you no longer stack your hours. So that means you will have to be able to charge more for your time or make it worthwhile which means you have to get good at targeting or getting access to a more, I'm sorry, affluent clientele on average, right? And that's someone might be like, Oh, I want to offer traded. Well, yes, you want to make it accessible to everybody, but it's also something that in order to be able to viably do it, you have to take into consideration because you can now train in theory, half as many people and you have to take into consideration traffic patterns and how far each client are away from each other. So build that into it and be prepared to charge more for your time and then find clients who are comfortable paying for it. A second thing is, and this is what I've also done is, is the other side of the in-home, you put the gym in your home, right? So that your clients can come to you. So I live in what's essentially a suburb in Edmonton, but it's not very far away from most people. It's accessible by the big beltway road we have. And I built that gym, you know, during COVID for myself and to, and to work with clients and I've maintained my evenings. Oh, so there's a gym that I contract out of all strength. So I go in there for mornings and afternoons. and I love it, it's been going really well. And then my evenings, I train clients at home. And a lot of my clients either have a strong preference for one or the other. There's a few that just go wherever that fits them in. Cause they're, one of, one of my guys is a doctor and he can train almost any time of day, depending on the schedule. He's happy to go to both. But the in home allows me to stack, you know, hour upon hour upon hour. Uh, Again, that same doctor, sometimes he'll message me and be like, you know, can, you know, we do a a Saturday evening time, like, you know, six or seven. And if I don't have anything already planned, I'm like, fuck yeah, just drop over, you know, I'll train you for an hour. you know, it pays very, very well. I don't have to go anywhere. And he lives pretty close by anyway. So I found that having a home gym set up has been great. Now, if you don't own a house or have that kind of space, you're limited. Uh, You know, I've been fortunate that I do own my home and I had a full basement to just start setting up in, but it's something worth looking at as well uh if you don't want to have to worry about it and of course you know there's a whatever the government says you're allowed to do versus not allowed to do but you know in your own home it's a lot easier to pull off uh especially if the government has said hey all these businesses have to close
1: yeah um i've got uh, a couple of friends who uh have very be- very uh, successful very successfully started a uh home gym setup um where they have like a two car garage, for example, and they transform that garage into a nice, fully, you know, rubberized floors. They mirror the place, they heat the place and so on. They get progressively more and more good pieces of equipment that are useful to go into that garage. And then all their clients just come to them. And, you know, when you're one of those kinds of trainers, because I find like it's sort of like a different realm in the, in the training world. And like, business starts coming to you that you didn't know, at least from what I've heard from them, uh, it comes to you and you never expected it to come to you. You'd, you always wonder what's going to happen when your existing clients that you move over into your home are no longer available or whatever. But, you know, word goes around and then all of a sudden in the neighborhood, people are interested and so on. And so then this person tells, and then all of a sudden you have a whole list of people and you, you're, you, you got a waiting list even. And um, this, is, this is the good thing about having sort of like an in with like the kind of the suburb sort of thing and uh, having like an in-home kind of deal whether it is an in-home where you're going to them or where they're coming to you, and um, you know it's to me that that side of things, especially if you're in an area of the city or you're working with people in an area of the city that you normally wouldn't touch or that normally don't get touched by too many trainers, it can be a real incentive, at least for me. And I know that uh, in the event that I start doing, you know, a lot more of that sort of training, where it is uh, you know you make yourself mobile and you go to their homes, you know. All it takes is being on one really rich street (laughs) and you work with one really rich clientele on that rich street. And then all of a sudden they tell their neighbors and then they tell their neighbors and they tell them, And then all of a sudden you can load up two days out of the week where you're just going straight from home to home, right there in the same place. And you know, your travel costs are down. You're billing an arm and a leg for the session, rightfully so, of course, and you're doing what you should be doing. And it's uh, and it goes great. And then, and then, you know, you have a great network and it's all about building contacts and making a, like having a good pool of people behind you. And uh, you could you could make a solid living and be pretty comfortable with everything. Yeah,
0: don't stay in that box of the way things were before. I mean, I worked for six and a half years on a commercial gym floor, and, you know, I was kind of very boxed into that, like, all right, this is the way it is. And when I first started out, there were less options, right? Online training was barely a thing outside of, you know, like the, the, the top tier trainers that we sort of were reading all their stuff, and they were doing it before it became a popular thing. But now we have all these different options. There's way more stuff that you can possibly do between online, virtual, hybrid models, in your home, in other people's homes, that, yeah, like you're saying, like consider all these things, figure out the stuff that probably works best for you, and you're just more robust. You're more resilient to the things. I've got an article in the works that, if anybody's read the book Anti-Fragile, Nassim Nicholas Talad, which is uh, one of my favorites. Philosophically, right now, I think we are seeing a tier of trainers looking to leave the industry. And I believe and my articles about this being a really great time to stay. I don't know if it's a great time to enter the industry, but the the ones who are serious, will figure it out. But if you manage to get through COVID and do okay, and you still didn't get like that, your clients were engaged with you, they went online, they did virtual. You had, they, they came back and you're not starving. You're somehow able to keep going and pay your bills. I'm praying, and I hope, but I think this is probably the worst thing that will happen to us in terms of the effect on our industry in a long time, these lockdowns and, this, and the scare of this If you got through this, you're probably fine. And every trainer at some point has worried about, and I have worried about this, and people are going to hear this and go, really? Holy shit. About all of your clients just up and just being gone in, like, say, a, a two-week to a month period. Of course, it's never happened. You get that little, oh, this week's a little slower, you get a little nervous about it. And the illusion is that the salaried, you know, secure, quote, air quotes, jobs are better. That's nonsense, right? A salary job, how many people do you know lost their salary job during this or just got laid off? I'm in, you know, Alberta. So how many oil field jobs all of a sudden just poof, gone, and nobody's hiring right, right now. So if you think that that stuff is secure and stable, I would argue that, while there's variability to our income, we have great upside to our income and we can see the shocks and the shifts in the trends. And this is the whole point within the book, Anti-Fragile, that we can detect that stuff early and we can change our behavior, we can change our tactics. We can do all those different offerings that we just talked about. We can put more effort into asking for referrals. And we are very, very unlikely, barring you doing something astonishingly stupid that gets you canceled, from losing all of your clientele in one shot and fuck it. I mean, I won't say any names but we know people in our greater sphere who've gotten into fairly high level trouble that there's, you know, been outcries and outrage or whatever. And those people after sort of initial like fuss about it, it died down and they're still cruising fine. So um, we are surprisingly robust in what we're doing. And I'm encouraging the people who are nervous about, you know, their income and worried about, you know, getting clients. I think staying here is probably the best thing you could possibly do versus trying to go out and become a paramedic or, you know, something else. Now, if you just don't have the stomach for the relentless effort to build your business brand and that kind of work or the schedule, then sure. I understand it, but I do not think that for income security, it's a good reason to leave.
1: Yeah. um, So, a lot, a lot that you just said there. And part of it that I have to agree with if for sure is the fact that, um, you know, it's going to expose, and this is what I'll add, is that it's going to definitely expose who's got the most passion for the industry as well. Um, you know, I don't personally see, there are a lot of things that you and I could go and do, but I just don't see any possibility it's not even a thought that I would leave this industry to try to do something else instead. Um, you know, I do think that there's a lot of uh, business to be gained for staying around first and foremost, but second of all, you know, like I'm the type of person who's going to keep on trying something until it really proves itself that it's like, I'm on rock bottom here before I'm out. And, uh, that's just my, my method of operation and how I, how I do things. And, um, You know, I guess that's sort of what speaks to like where where I'm at in the industry as well and what I've been doing and how how much success I've attained so far. Um, That's what I attribute it to is a stick-to-itiveness that, you know, being persistent and staying on top of what you do. And like, I'm just like, yeah, you diversify your approach. Of course, you go mobile, you go virtual, you start doing more blogging and you start creating, uh, curating content and so on. All those kinds of things can go a long way. Um, But on top of it, you see how you can just do more in-person training sessions in a different way. And maybe there are opportunities that you've always been too busy to even look for because of the fact that you've been stuck in one groove doing what you do uh, and doing it well. But this could be the wake up call that a lot of uh, trainers need to uh, get diverse and, and, and explore other avenues within the industry and under the umbrella of fitness and personal training. Um, something that I made a little blog about not too long ago in the, in the heat of COVID-19, uh, trying to look at things from the bright side and looking at things from a little bit more of a positive perspective for both lifters, trainers, and clients. So for, for everybody.
0: I think there's something else embedded within where you and I are in the industry, and, and I don't think that we're on the same level. You've been doing this, you, despite the fact you're quite a bit younger than me. You've been doing this longer. I've been playing catch-up on some stuff. But Both in the space of writing, creating, and I know that with our followings, we end up putting a lot of stuff out there geared towards other coaches and trainers. Now, there's an important piece of wisdom. It's like know the audience you're speaking to. Like we work with clients and you and I both put out a lot of information that's directed to the end user. We're also speaking to a lot of the other coaches. Now, while actually sometimes other coaches do come and work with me, I'm not trying to market to other coaches anything other than listen to my podcast, go read, read our, our articles on T Nation, that sort of stuff. Hey, come to my conference once a year. Yeah. But those are not big parts of my business. My, my income is based around my in-person coaching and a little bit of online. But I believe there is a lot of value in being, the best way I could say it, is an industry authority. So when someone who is considering training with us, and either connected to someone who follows us or works with us, or they're a follower or a, an old friend who's still on Facebook, and you see the trainer who's you know in the trenches you know, three or four years into the business or a first couple of years, versus that trainer who's been doing it over a decade. Because literally today, this month is my 10-year anniversary in the industry starting today. So kind of going to have some fun with that a little bit. So you get someone who's literally a decade in or more who a lot of their brand and media is about education and here's how to be successful in the industry. Well, you're an industry authority. That's very appealing to the brand new client. Okay. So that's like, who am I going to go to? Oh, I'm going to go to the commercial gym trainer, or I'm actually going to go to this guy who is an expert in the field because they're gonna assume that you're gonna be pretty good at actually taking care of a brand new client as well. So I don't think you can skip some of the steps along the way to put yourself in that position. Again, like you said, it's about writing articles and creating long form content and building brand. But for anyone listening, while I still think as your career emerges, your message still needs to be overwhelmingly to the potential end user, there, it is a good idea to start creating some information that is educational. If you want to get into this kind of space and, you know, get to where guys like me and Lee are, right? Like again, if you aspire to write for T Nation, then there's a lot of steps you have to take along that way. And writing and demonstrating the ability to write and and take those training ideas and articulate them into an accessible form, that's essential.
1: It's something that uh, has really changed in its landscape over the last decade. Um, I've been writing since I was 20. My first article came out when I was 22. And at 33, the amount of, let's say, uh, people who have entered that space, because of how much more um, digital information is being consumed compared to the way that it was in 2009, um, it's, it's just more rampant. It's more prevalent. And it's, it's also something that more people have gotten into, even if they're, you know, regardless of what their capabilities or their or background or their education or their skill level at actually doing the thing have been. And, um, you know, that should be something that encourages a lot of people to get into it because there are far fewer kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There are far fewer strictures or restrictions or, or stigmas that are attached to, okay, well, this person misspelled this or this person uh, has poor sentence structure on that or whatever it is. Um, you know, social media is a great Great culprit for all of that in that now everybody has a platform to put out their opinions, to say what they want to say and to say what they think, whether it's in video format, whether it's in written format or whatever, they make their posts. So now everybody has a platform to write on. It's a question of what you decide to write about. And so, um, you know, using that social media to your advantage and putting out good quality content or talking about what you believe in or putting a, a demonstration out there video wise that shows that you are walking the talk and that you're out here in the trenches doing what you do. Um, it's going to go a long way in terms of uh, creating that evergreen content that people are going to consume and uh, give you more respect and uh, give you more respect for and add a level of credibility to your stuff. Um, And it's, you know what, like even since I got an Instagram account, which was in 2018, which is six years behind the crowd, um, the amount of, business that that turned things into for me in some way, shape or form, whether it was somebody who wanted me to write for their publication or whether it was somebody who um, wanted to train with me physically or whether it was a new online client who wanted me or the, I have the, uh, the thing where I have a fix my form, which is just a little quick thing where somebody submits videos to me and I can give them a form check. Um, so all of those different avenues have definitely become helped or it, it, they've become enhanced in some way, shape or form as a result of having that platform, that single platform that I added to my arsenal, for lack of a better term, um, and, and have as part of my social media. And, you know, it, we got to take advantage of that because that's the, the world that we live in now. And it's something that a lot of eyes are on, a lot of people's eyes are. And so uh, we should we should use that to our advantage. And it's going to only help our cause. And it's looking a little bit more speculative or spectacle, or it's a little bit more skeptical, I should say, when somebody doesn't have any of those things, and they're trying to really do this in the industry. It's unfortunately, that's the real world that we live in now is that like, okay, so it's not why do you have an Instagram? Why do you have Facebook? Why do you have Twitter for all this fitness stuff? It's more so why don't you? How come you're not on these platforms? And you're trying to really, really put out and make a name for yourself in the fitness industry, a word of mouth, is great and it's powerful but it could only go so far sometimes and um, especially to be reached or to have a, some kind of a reach that is international it's going to be even more important to have some kind of an online presence or create one for yourself uh, via the content that you put out there and that you create
0: and i you were one of the people i asked when i put together an article which is still unpublished it should be published sometime next couple of weeks on true coach uh, that's where i like to do my career writing now and it was like, you know, you and five other people who have built really successful followings uh, on their social media. Anyway, so when everybody gets a chance to read that one, you'll see kind of where, what Lee's advice is and how he did it and how how you went about your philosophies to it. And this, I agree with you. This is something that I realized earlier this year, late last year, I was like, okay, you know, I'm doing all these other things. You know, there's a podcast, there's writing for, you know, big publications and then there's my, my coaching, but in the grander scheme of things, as silly as the metric of who has more Instagram followers should be, this is how people think. So I thought, okay, I, I need to get on Instagram on a regular basis, be consistently creative, and work to reach more people. And I've had a massive amount of growth from where I started to where I am now. Uh, my goal, I keep saying, is you know to get to that 10K bar because I like the idea of the swipe up function. And at first, you know, the pace is like, oh, it'll be sometime next year. But right now, you know, the pacing might be, my goal, my stretch goal is Christmas and I'll hit the 10K. And it's been a fun thing. And I realized like it's actually really easy and fun to create all this stuff for social media. It's a really great exercise in editing and finding the right wording on things and what's engaging. So that's a a skill that, well, you need in any form of communication, whether it's long form, talking to clients, selling to clients, getting them to buy into what you know they need to do to change their lives and interactions and networking within the industry. So I I think it's a good exercise if you have the bandwidth to do it and the ideas can come from your everyday. Um, And I make sure that I write things down. Uh, The post I put up today was something that a client of mine said yesterday and I'm like, hang on, I gotta write this down. This gives me a great idea. And if you're missing those things, you're missing all these opportunities to share those ideas and oftentimes it's something that's so ubiquitous that everybody else goes, yeah, fuck, I've, I've seen that too. And then someone shares it and then it just takes off on a life of its own. And some big account shares it. And next thing you know, you wake up and you got 400, 500 new followers. But growing an Instagram, I think is actually a really smart idea right now. And I think, I don't think Facebook's going anywhere. I really don't. I think it's, you know, it, the younger generation is not doing too much with it. They're on Instagram I mean, I don't advocate, hey, you have to be on TikTok, you have to be on But I think Instagram is probably going to be fairly stable for a really long time. And they've shown that every time there's an upstart like Snapchat, they do stories. TikTok, now Instagram has Reels. So I think Instagram, with Facebook's backing, is probably still going to stay a really relevant pro- uh, platform, especially when it comes to video, image-based stuff. So, you know, if you're on it, I, I do think it's worthwhile to be fairly consistent with it. Consistency trumps all quality of information is like a close second, like right? they're very intertwined. But you're leaving something on the table if you don't make the effort to reach more people. Cause like you said, that brings in more business and more clientele and more people, more eyes on your in your educational stuff. And as silly as it is, it is a metric of credibility. We look at someone who has in our space, who's a good example? I look at a guy like Joe DeFranco. You know, there's a generation finding him, and you know, Joe's got, I think, a couple hundred thousand Instagram followers. Now we know Joe because the guy's a fucking legend in our world. He's a smart guy, brilliant trainer, business owner. But there's going to be a generation of people who find him. It's like, hey, this guy is pretty jacked, and he's got uh, you know a couple hundred thousand followers, and he trains Triple H from uh, from the WWE, and that's the metric. Then they get in there, and then they see all the quality of the stuff. So still it's, it, as much as a vanity metric, it is still a very real metric in the eyes and minds of humans who make you know, quick first impressions based on, you know, and honestly, it drills it down into how trainers look. And there's that whole argument that I wanna get into it about, you know, should a trainer be fit or in shape? That's always a dirty mess of a conversation, but it would be naive to dismiss it as saying it's irrelevant as much as only the knowledge should matter first impression is eyes, you know, from someone who's coming in to work with you can make a difference. So I'll, I'll sort of leave it at that because it's definitely not a black and white uh, you know,
1: discussion. It's not a black and white discussion. And to your earlier points as well, I think that um, with social media, the one thing that I think is really good about it is that you could kind of tailor your, your, as of a, the type of content you decide to put out, if you want more of the the demographic to be sort of geared towards, you know, whatever, how strong you are and how awesome you are at training or about your academic advice or people who are struggling with rehab issues and they have certain questions with regards to that, uh, postnatal pregnancy uh, stuff, uh, people who are, you know, dealing with like insecurity issues and body image issues or had uh, recovered from some kind of disorder, you know, all you can create a little bit of a vein with your content based on what content you put up there. Um, And, you know, it might even sort of be a little bit stronger of a way for you to pull that kind of crowd in compared to if you were just only trying to do it in person. So I think that being able to tailor things in that regard and sort of have a a focused, but organic at the same time growth uh, of the right kind of followers or the right kind of following is going to be, It's a a huge benefit of using social media, Instagram in specific, especially. Um, And, uh, you know, when you have articles and you have things that you're putting out there and you have blogs that you're making and you have content that's all sort of following the same kind of rhetoric the entire time um, and and just under the same kind of umbrella of what narrative you try to adopt to, it's to, um, it's going to really keep that consistency up. And people are going to know what to expect. And people who share it with other people are going to probably share it with other people who are in the same boat. And then, uh, you know, and then you got, a great, uh, you got a great thing going on. And so um, with me personally, like I like to talk about, I have my tall guy Tuesdays. So I make sure that I do it every single Tuesday, no matter what. Um, and so I have something for lifters who are sort of uh, built and shaped like me. Longer limbs, taller, tor- uh, taller body, total, total body height. And so on. And so there's something that sort of addresses that and a heavier build, a heavier, a heavier uh, scale weight. So those kinds of things, I think uh, they, they can provide that extra value and they can make, um, you know, I'll call it a cult following for lack of a better term, uh, where there's a niche market that they really, really like certain things that you put out just for them. Um, and the rest of my content is really based around really that education. Here's something you can learn about fitness. Here's something you haven't thought about. Here's an outside the box way to apply this principle, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, it just, it fits into what we were talking about earlier in terms of which direction my own stuff is going with regards to the education side of things. So even if I tailor my social media toward the education side of things and less toward, oh, check out how much I can lift, or I did a PR in my squat today, that's cool too but it doesn't occupy too much space on my Instagram or on my social media feeds. Um, On top of it, you know, you push your articles and say, I just got this published that speaks to the points that I was making in these posts. Well, great. Um, and you know, that's the beauty of this sort of thing is that you have full creative control over what you produce and how you want to present it. And, um, that's going to uh, tailor itself into creating the audience that you want for yourself. And maybe it might affect the rate of change you see if you're not maybe posing naked, for example, like a lot of people do to get a big following and garner a lot of attention, but the quality will speak for itself. And even if that rate of change or rate of development is a little bit slower paced, that's Fine and good because it'll sort of expose who's, uh, who's the real deal and who's not and what, what kind of followers you have or what kind of audience you grow and how engaged and loyal they are and how long they'll stick around and all sorts of stuff like that. So, um, yeah, no, I, uh, I like what I'm doing with social media and I like the fact that I have an Instagram, even though I've been really late to the parade and, um, yeah, I encourage a lot of other people to do the same thing and, uh, just be wise with their and wise and have a lot of, uh, conviction with what they do on it. And that's, what's going to sort of make, uh, make the difference for them. The quality of the followers, <laughs> as
0: you said, got a couple of guys I chat with who uh, follow me and one's got a pretty big following. And what they built up is a lot of followers based on, you know, muscular builds, bodybuilding style builds. And they've expressed frustration with, you know, they get tons and tons of likes on posts where they show something shirtless. But then if they try to write something that's kind of more the, the style of the things you and I do regularly, then they don't get much engagement from it. So it becomes difficult. You, know, you get caught up in the dopamine hits of, you know, and we shouldn't, but we do about how well a post does. And then you notice that, well, they're trying to do the thing that they actually really care about because they want to educate and share information, not getting much resonance with that type of post. And then they always double back to, here's another shirtless selfie. So breaking that cycle is tough, but it's created because you built a following based on those images. And I think a lot of women who post, you know, the, the sexier type of stuff are going to have that same problem. You're going to attract, a, you know, your hope is to educate people or to, to sell training programs and your following is just there to look at you casually, then you're gonna have a hard time selling to those demographics. So yeah, it, it could be a slower road, but I, I think appealing to the right audience and having a very engaged one, because I, I've gotten a lot of comments on how engaged my Instagram following is, and I actually take a great deal of pride in that. It's been really fun, and it's helped my uh, social media grow rapidly. So I agree with you. That's the road that you probably should take. Forget the shortcuts. and I'm gonna say this, and there's a lot of really credible people in our industry who organically built their following, but just because you see someone with a larger following and you've been struggling you know, with maybe two or 3,000, that's where I started out for a while. You know, Some of those bigger followings are purchased. They were seeded by buying followers. It's a common tactic. I personally haven't done it, I will never do it, and I'm actually proud of the fact that I was able to build, and once I reach the 10K mark and beyond, it's gonna feel really good that, hey, I didn't fuck around with that shit. And there's a bot in my DMs every day trying to sell me this crap, right? That's just, that's the But no, I won't take the shortcut. And if you've done, if you're listening, you did it, then like, okay, there's no shame in that. But I'd say going forward, you know, get on the right road, create the consistent, good quality information and, you know, build organically.
1: I've seen... Like, it's so obvious, painfully obvious when somebody goes and purchases following or just gets some kind of fabricated superfluous, superfluous number that shows how many people are following them. And I can think of specific people from my city who are doing that. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, they had 1,100 followers last week, and then all of a sudden they have 15,000. Or they had 11,000 and all of a sudden they have 55,000. And it's like, that's not how this works. It doesn't happen like that unless you were literally on like uh, Oprah or something (laughs) yesterday. It doesn't how it works, right? And, um, you know, I know better than any other person how like the, the rate of change that you usually see or what getting something popular out there and how when that gets shared around what kind of wave it usually sends in terms of how many new uh follows you'll get on an instagram or on a a twitter or whatever it is you know I'm, i'm a guy who's been published all left right and center and i've had really wildfire articles and i've had articles that have gone nowhere i've had videos that get shared all over the place on big places and i have videos that go nowhere and so i know what kind of a wave a really successful hit will get um, with all of that said, when you triple your audience, unless your audience was like thirty people at first, <laughs> when you triple your audience in a day or over the course of one weekend, usually it cracks up to being that uh, you purchased that 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 audience. Um, with that said, the easy way to tell as well and peel back the layers is when you just look at okay, this thing has this person has seven hundred thousand followers, but then they have seven hundred and fifty thousand likes on a page or whatever or or they have uh 1500 likes on one one post that they've made and then you see that there's only one comment or you see that there's two comments well that doesn't make any sense it doesn't match up there's no congruency there whatsoever um and That alone tells me that it's like, okay, this is a fake audience that's not, or their engagement is absolutely horrendous, but I don't think it's that. Um, So I don't know, to me, it just, it doesn't look good. And it's not something that I can ever do. And, and I just don't encourage anybody to do it if they're thinking about it, just because It only takes one slightly closer look for a person who's on your page to see that this is fabricated and this isn't real. Um, and there's no shame in having a smaller number in your audience either. Um, and keeping that true because you know, you're building that organically and you know, more and more eyes are going to be on your stuff if you do things the right way. And I remember before I started, uh, and I only had Facebook at the time, but before I started, uh, really wanting to take like the content curation and so on seriously, and I started writing for T Nation, and I started writing for a, mu- a Muscle Mag, which was a thing back at the time. Um, I remember I had around maybe 800 or so Facebook friends, and I said, okay, well, now it's time to start the experiment. And so I removed so many. I got down to 260. That's what the number was when I started everything up. And you know, I've reached the capacity now in terms of that 5,000 limit or whatever, but it took time when I released my first blog article in 2011, it was like uh, I put out the content and it was like, you know, three likes, five likes, you know, if I hit double digits, I was very, very happy with myself. And so like to think about things getting hundreds of likes now and so on, uh, it's, it's a great feeling to see, especially based on what type of content I would be putting out there and trying to get people to be interested in my content. is be instantly popular, not only in terms of the opinions that are out there, but more so in terms of just what general content I decide. I write editorial pieces on my blog. I don't write about training content on my blog. I use it for different stuff. I talk about what I see in the industry. I talk about all kinds of things like that. I talk about um, the sociocultural aspects of fitness. This is boring material for most people who are out there. They want to read about fitness. And so um, for that reason, the fact that Things like that are getting shared around, and the, my perspectives or my outside of the box kind of takes on things, and my counterintuitive uh, posts that I make and articles that I that I share on my blog are getting that kind of attention. Is something that. You take a lot of pride in because of the fact that it took time for you to build that attention for it. And uh, it just means that you spend the years that are necessary in order to make that grow. And uh, I think that anybody who's in that position right now, in terms of like, they're getting started with that, they have the perfect, they have the perfect platform to do it now. And they have the perfect kind of, uh, they're in the perfect world to be able to do that because the consumption of this kind of content and the amount of stuff that can more easily spread on social media now compared to back in 2010 11 those kind of years um it's it's much stronger now and so um you just have many more avenues and many more opportunities for your content to really be seen and um so it might not be as hard and that's a great thing so um yeah i i really think that uh, all those things really matter and you know, it all starts with just making sure you create content that's good and consistent and you sort of carve your own niche and you don't succumb to buying followers or using different things that will impress who, who are you trying to impress anyway? You know, uh, somebody who wants to follow you as well. You want a, you want a good quality following instead. And that's the way to go.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of value in really great quality following. And I really love, like, I try to in some way, shape or form, uh, you know, in every episode now, say to people. And shoot me if you are following me and you know you have any thoughts on this. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love a message because I want to connect with more of you guys. Like, seriously, like I'm not, I always make the time to respond to anyone who reaches out to me. So, thanks for that. Uh, and meanwhile, I want you guys following Lee. Lee's become a really good friend of mine in the industry and someone who is both. Be- is a is someone I look to right now, respect you to you're someone I've included in my conference as a speaker because I want to share you with more people. But I've learned from you and been reading your stuff for I think my almost my entire career, right? I've been reading T Nation since you know I started 10 years ago, and you were on there in those fairly early days of that. So it's really cool right now to be able to connect here with you and, and the other people I've had on the podcast. And, this also goes to anyone who's still trying to build and grow. I mean, I don't recommend everybody go and do a podcast just for the sake of doing it, but if you're interested in passionate and serious, the people who follow you who aren't my engaged following or Lee's engaged following, they might be interested in what you have to say and that following can grow and it also will give you avenues to connect with the industry, I hate the term influences, but certainly the, the, the industry leaders uh, you know, not everybody's gonna, you know, Ben Bruno just doesn't want to do podcasts. So he keeps saying, Hey man, nah, I don't do that sort of thing. But a lot of the people that you follow are pretty down to earth and they'll probably come and do your podcast for you. So it's a good way to connect and grow. And I think, I still think networking with a lot of the people who are where you are at, but also the, the leaders is going to serve you really well. So yeah, so go follow Lee,
1: uh, Lee, what's your Instagram handle off the top of your head? Uh, it's Coach Lee Boyce, at Coach Lee Boyce, and you can find that across all three, actually, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, Coach, L-E-E-B-O-Y-C-E. Yeah, and looking on – you have an email list, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So uh, you can subscribe to my stuff as well. And um, then, you know, I got to get better. I have to lie. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I have to get better at putting out stuff for the email list and whatnot, especially with what things I have sort of planned uh, in that department in terms of like, you know, eventually putting out uh, products and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I got to get on my own self for that. <laughs>
0: and that just goes to show though. I mean, I am
1: terrible with email list stuff. Uh, you know, I reached
0: out to a friend of mine who does a lot of uh, like work with email, building email systems and I reached out to her and I said, Hey, listen, I want your help with something here to, you know, to get me to figure out how to do this MailChimp thing. So we are not flawless. We don't do it all well. You know, there's a lot of stuff to actually try to do. So we, we still are, are learning as we go. So yeah, guys, go and engage with everything Lee's doing. Uh, if you're not already following me, Andrew quotes, fitness on Instagram, I definitely want to interact with you. There Shoot me a message. And I've been getting some messages about people who've been reviewing the podcast and I appreciate that. So, you know, five-star review is better than one star, but go and review it. It doesn't take very long. It means a lot. And, you know, thanks everybody for tuning in today. Uh, Lee, always great to talk to you and uh, we will see you guys all again next week. I don't know my guest yet for next week, but I'll have something great for you.